Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I want to talk about a new way to church. Just a little more than 2,000 years ago, something happened on planet Earth like nothing that has ever happened before. The most amazing event, the most explosive event that mankind has ever seen. And it culminated after a period of time. The Savior had been crucified. You know, just 50 days ago, we were commemorating the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary. The death and his burial and his resurrection. The word Pentecost literally means 50 days. It's 50 days after Passover. In the Jewish tradition... In the Jewish times, Passover, of course, commemorated that time when the Lord provided way for Moses and his people to escape the clutches of Egypt. How many know that Egypt in the Bible represents a life of sin and degradation, the time before we knew God? That's the representation there. And it culminated in a time when God gave something to Moses and said, if you do these things, if you follow my instructions, how many know it's more than just believing that there's a God? How many know that it's more than just believing to do the right thing, but God said, do these things, and I will send a death angel, and it will pass over your homes. If you take the blood of that precious lamb, how many know Jesus Christ was the precious lamb slain from the foundation of the world? They said, take the blood of that precious lamb sacrifice and put it on the door lintels in the post of your home, and that death angel will pass over and you will be saved. Even then, they were being saved by the blood. Amen. In the Jewish tradition, they celebrate the Passover, the time that they escaped Egypt. But once again, then they passed over the, uh, the, the Red Sea, and they passed over the desert, and they passed over the River Jordan. There were many Passovers to commemorate. But that one Passover is the one that they celebrate, representing the time of freedom from bondage. And then 50 days later, there was a very, very special feast day. It was the feast of their first fruits, they called it. It was called Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. And they celebrated that by going back to Jerusalem. Do you know that more people were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost than any other time of the year? Jews from all over the region came to to do their worship at the temple and bring their first fruits. You know that the priest would bake two loaves of bread with no leaven. One would be wheat and one would be barley and he would put them together and wave them in the temple. You know what that represented? It represented the coming message that salvation was going to be for the Jews and the Gentiles. It was two types of bread. It was a promise to you and me. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 50 days after Passover, everybody's in Jerusalem doing their first fruits, giving of their worship at the temple. 50 days, Pentecost, that's today. Now many people don't, some people don't quite understand how all of those things happened. Jesus was uh, uh, crucified and he was buried, he was resurrected. He didn't fly up to heaven immediately, did he? He wasn't completely ascended. As a matter of fact, he appeared for a period of 40 days So 40 out of those 50 days after Passover, 
Jesus continued to reveal himself to his followers and giving messages and giving them direction and some very important direction. Like, I want you to go to Jerusalem, tarry, and wait there until you be endued with the power from on high. I'm sending myself in the form of the comforter. This power is coming to you. They said, Master, we want to know, is the kingdom of hand at hand? He said, it's not for you to know just yet, but listen to me. What do we pray just now? Lord, I submit myself to your will. I submit myself to your word. I submit myself to your authority. He said, go and wait in the city of Jerusalem until something marvelous is going to happen. There's going to be a new way to church. When I say a new way to church, by the way, I'm not talking about taking a different route. I'm talking about a new way to have church. Church was going to change. The Jewish leadership at the time was steeped in tradition and the law and procedure and ceremony. Okay, and I'm not picking on anybody today, but I'm just saying it has gone back to that. It went back to that after this explosive moment. Somehow traditional faiths, the Christian faith, even kind of stepped back into that ceremony, even picked up some of that ceremony from the old ways. But Jesus didn't want that. There was a new way to church, and he was trying to sell it to them, trying to get it to them on the day of Pentecost. So for 40 days, he appears under the disciples, giving them instruction. And tells them to go and tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Follow me in Acts chapter 1. I've said this before from this pulpit. And if you're from a traditional faith, God bless you. Your faith is strong. You love God. You were raised the right way. You know that this is truth. You know that God is real. You know that there's power in it. And you're faithful folks. But folks, so many of them that I've encountered and talked to, they know about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The culminated gospels of the four biographies that told of the life of Jesus. But somehow, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians. And they miss an important book in the middle of that whole thing. The culmination of that biography, that salvation message, the gospel leads to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, where things began to explode when a new way to church was introduced to the world. I've sat and listened to message after message, many people, wonderful messages in the gospel, talking letters to Rome and the letters to Corinth and so on. And somehow they always excuse me, manage to miss that Acts book that's right in the middle, the most important one. I want you to is the recording of the birth of that new way to church. There is no other way. There is no other style. There is no other method. Jesus came back under his authority and his way and established a new way to church. But somehow we've missed it. Somehow modern Christianity, somehow the world just bypassed over that whole thing and sort of tucked it aside. Many won't preach it, won't talk about it, disregard it, leave it alone. But I want to tell you, there's, there's an enemy at work when something like that's going on because I'm talking about the most explosive piece of literature that has ever existed, accounting for what God did on that day of Pentecost. Amen. Isn't it amazing that something so powerful has been hidden and tucked away and buried away? God, I submit myself to your whole word. I submit myself to all of your authority. I submit myself to every word, every precept, every line upon line. 
We don't leave anything out. You know why? Because there's a new way to church. Acts chapter one starts this way. The, the, uh, the disciple Luke wrote the account of what happened at this time. He said, the former treatise have I made. He's referring back to what has happened. He says, oh, Theophilus. Many people believe that's a combination of Theo, God, and Philus, people. He's saying, oh, people of God. He's reaching out to people to recount what has happened in this situation of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Keep that word in mind. We submit to the will of God. We submit to the authority of God. We submit to all of the word of God. Jesus gave them commandments of what they were supposed to do moving forward. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't, hey, if you like to do it this way, give it a try. He gave it as a command. He said to whom, verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. How many know of the passion of Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection by many infallible proofs. In other words, he showed up. He said, stop doubting, Thomas. Put your finger through the hole in my hands where the spikes were laid if you need proof that it's me. Being seen of them 40 days, as I said earlier, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, he visited them again and again and again, giving them insight, giving them direction. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded again them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. He said, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So if Pentecost is 50 days and he was with them for 40 days, it seems to me that there was a group of people and it says about 120. You know that I look back over the last few weeks of numbers and that this congregation has been averaging just about 120. 120 followers dedicated the full, complete will and word of God stood in a room in the temple in Jerusalem and prayed and worshiped for at least 10 days. 10 days submitting completely to the will of God, waiting for this power to come down from on high. You understand, they had no idea what he was talking about. They'd never seen anything like this before. They had no idea what was coming. But in faith, in an understanding, and through the commandment of God, who said, be there for 10 days, whatever, you go to Jerusalem and you wait until you be endued and baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. How many know that baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, to completely submerge, to dip, completely bury. It comes from when they were in the desert and had to, had to preserve their food in salt water. They would take vegetables and completely baptize those pieces of food to preserve them from rotting. Baptism isn't throwing some water on somebody and saying it's all good. You gotta be submerged completely under that saving water. Verse 6 says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, now this is before Jerusalem. Now they are saying, Lord, without this time, restore again to the kingdom of Israel. They're looking for salvation. He said, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But listen to verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. That word power, you've heard me describe this before. The word is dunamis. It's pronounced dunamis, but it's spelled D-Y-N-A-M-I-S. We get the word 
dynamite from that word power. He's talking about an explosive power that's going to rain down on you at some moment during your prayer. It's not a warm and fuzzy feeling. I believe God. I believe in the Lord. Explosive power, dunamis. Of course, Luke is referring back to his own when he says the former treatise. He's talking about his own writings in the book, book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 49. And he says, and he's, he's, he's repeating Jesus. He's writing Jesus' words. And I behold, and I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power, dunamis, from on high. He's recounting that time when Jesus said those very words. And then he goes on and recounts the ultimate mission. If you continue on in verse 8, it says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and on all Judea and in Samaria and to the othermost parts of the earth. Is our mission to come to church and feel warm and fuzzy and enjoy each other's conversation and listen to the words of the pastor, sing a few songs and enjoy life thereafter? No. We had a very specific commandment Our commandment is to go into all of Judea and Samaria and spread the word of God. It's very simple. It's very simple. That's the formula. He laid it down before us. Paul wrote to Timothy, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power, dunamis. You have to understand that that spirit that's available to you, if it's not residing in you now, it needs to be. Because it's going to give you the power to get over what's going on. How many people believe that there are Christians in this world not even understanding this message yet? People that don't know God, that are living in a constant state of fear of what's happening in our world. And there's a spirit out there that's got dunamis power in it. It's got a dynamite power that destroys fear. And we can bring it to them. We can get it to them if we're willing to share that word. Praise God. So we look at the day of Pentecost. It's finally arrived. No more of the old standard churches going on here. The Jews are coming to the temple to do their normal thing. See, they were still in the routine. They were still in the constant form of the ceremonial law, doing their steps. There was no life to it anymore. There was, there was nothing honoring about it anymore. It was just going through the steps. The Jewish Sanhedrin and the, and the Pharisee leadership had turned it into to something just, just walking through the motions. There was no life in it anymore. And they were doing regular church. See, they were doing normal church, if you want to put it that way. But look at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord, that's not a Honda, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. There was an explosion of fire in the house, a rushing mighty wind of God's breath. And it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. People have a hard time with that tongues deal, man. It's weird. It's a weird deal. It's hard to get a hold of. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about, the creator of all things. And he decided it that way. He wanted something pure and beautiful and wonderful to pour out of your heart and connect with him so that your foul human mind couldn't defile it. Why is that so hard to believe? Why is it so hard to do? 
You've heard me say it before. Turn on a rap station. Turn on music of any kind in the world today and listen to the garbage that comes out of that and the craziness. And we go, oh, that's okay. But you get somebody filled with that explosive power of Jesus Christ and they begin just to shake and going, oh God, you're changing my life. And suddenly they rip into a line of tongues. You saved me, Jesus. But we've got a hard time believing how that works. I'll tell you what you got. If you're going down there tonight, shake your faith. Get it loosened up. Get all that stuff out of your mind. You got to see and you got to understand there's going to be people walking in off of the street that never heard anything about God before that are going to walk into this explosive power and they're going to feel the presence of God. It's not going to take you or me to do anything. God's going to fall on that place tonight and people are going to begin speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Ain't nothing you and I can do about it. No, no, pastor, I want, a, I want normal church. I don't want to get into all that stuff. There's nothing you can do about it. You're not going to stop it. The devil's not going to stop it. We're not going to stop speaking in tongues. We're not going to stop glorifying God in that heavenly language. There ain't nothing that's going to put my tongue down. You're going to have to hold me down and cut it out of my mouth to stop me. In Jesus' name. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. I want to ask you this morning, do you have that power? Do you have that power? Have you subdued it in your life? I've been filled with the Holy Ghost for 30 years. Haven't spoke two words in 28 and a half of them. Do you have that power? Do you have the ability, do you have the freedom in your life right now to stand up and just begin to worship God and pray and speak in tongues? Because if you don't, the devil is happy with you because he didn't want to hear it. You see, in the book of Matthew, Jesus talked about the ten virgins. He likened the Holy Ghost being filled in us as oil that can run out. The oil in the lamps of the ten virgins is not a constant. You just go to show up 30 years ago, fill up your tank, and it's good to go. I want to tell you something. Oil rots if it's not used. And if your oil is spoiled, if it's sat on the shelf too long, you don't have that power. But here's the beauty of Jesus Christ. Here's the beauty of the Savior that we serve. Later on here in just a little while, we're going to have an upper room experience. There's about 120 in here, I'd guess. Brother Joe, did you take a count yet? Where is he? Oh, we got 120. Hallelujah. <laughs> we're going to have an upper room experience. Some of you are going, oh, I don't know if I want any part of that. I might have to go to the bathroom when that happens. No, you ain't. You're going to have an upper room experience. You're going to have the opportunity to step up, fill that oil right back up again. That's the Savior that we serve. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, He can do anything He wants to, including refill you with His Spirit. And many of us need that refilling. I want to tell you something. Your pastor needs that refilling almost on a daily basis. Because my oil runs and it runs and it runs and I'm praying for people and I'm spending time with people and I'm counseling with people and I'm talking to people on the phone and my oil is running and it's running and it's running and I got to go back to God. I got to go back to the oil merchant and say, Lord, fill me up again. I need some more. If you think you're set, your oil is unspoilable, you are wrong. You ain't full of honey. As last I heard, that's the only food that doesn't spoil. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 1, a warning for our day. You, many of you have heard this. I see it on Facebook on a regular basis. I don't know why. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1, says, This know also that in the last days, how many know we're in the last days? 
Perilous times shall come, things that are troublesome. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. In other words, selfish. They'll be covetous, wanting everybody else's things, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Oh my goodness. The blasphemy against the church today is unbelievable. If you just pay attention and you hear it, it's out there. They're disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, meaning they can't control themselves. They're fierce, despisers of those that are good. There's a world of people out there that hates you and me because we represent something good and pure and wholesome. We're mocked and we're made fun of. Pray for those people, embrace those people, love them because they're heading for something that's destructive. And verse 5 finally says, having a form of godliness, understand, you know what that means? That there are people that refer to themselves as Christians. They have a form of godliness. They're doing those Christian-y things. Maybe they play it on, on the radio station in their car. They've got a bumper sticker that says Jesus. They do all the little Christian things, show up on Sunday, listen to their pastor, sing a couple songs, and go about their lives living the way they want. They've got a form of godliness. But what does the word say? But they're Denying the power. Guess what word that is? Dunamis. Exactly. They're denying the explosive Holy Ghost power of Jesus Christ. I've heard it myself. I've had Christian people, wonderful people. They love God. They love the word, but only so far. Because they haven't submitted fully to the will of God. They haven't submitted fully to the oil. They haven't submitted fully to the word of God, to the blood, to the spirit, to the authority of God. They haven't completely submitted at all. They have a form of godliness, but they're denying the explosive power. I've heard them say it. That tongue stuff is foolishness. I had, I've had people tell me it's satanic. I've had people tell me you're in a delusion. You're just putting yourself in a trance. You're just doing silly things. It's a bunch of nonsense. That's wrong, and it's a lie from the enemy. They're denying the explosive power of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because the enemy don't want them to do it. The enemy doesn't want you flowing over in oil and speaking that awesome language. He doesn't want you giving tongues and interpretation in your church, impacting the guests that come in. He doesn't want the spirits moving through the church. He wants you to stay seated right in your chair. Sit there and listen to your pastor. Sing a couple songs. Put a sticker on your car. Put it on your radio at home. But as long as you don't let that explosive, powerful Holy Ghost energy reign in your life, you're doing exactly what he wants you to do. Amen. Let's go back to the book of Acts. Let's go into chapter two now. As the disciples were praying in the spirit, that's what that means, they were praying in the spirit. There was no language that they knew. They were speaking that heavenly, beautiful language, a language that was connecting them and God. They couldn't in their impurity and their unrighteousness and their flesh impugn that word. They couldn't modify it. They couldn't throw their own will into it. It was a beautiful language between their spirit and his. The people that were around were amazed. I said there were tons of people in Jerusalem at the time. They were standing around listening. Holy cow, what's going on? You know the story. They marveled. Are these people drunk? Peter, the man who, who originally denied Christ, the man who had failed God three times, stands up. He's a different guy now. Why? Because he's full of explosive power of the Holy Ghost. He stands up and he tells them, no, these are not drunk as you suppose. It's the third hour of the day. That means it's nine o'clock in the morning. They weren't drinking. Usually the Jews at that time, because of their morning devotions, didn't eat or drink anything, much less wine. 
They go on to marvel, amaze. These men are Galileans. They recognize them by their clothing and by their language. Galileans were kind of like, um, anybody ever see Mary Poppins? Or uh, uh, what's the one with the, with the gal with the Cockney accent? Just popped out of my head. You guys are going to help me out, huh? All right. But they had a terrible accent. They were uneducated. They were fishermen. They didn't speak well. They had accents. They dressed like Galileans. And these guys are saying, listen, I'll think of it in My Fair Lady. Just pop back in. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Remember Eliza Doolittle? Okay, all right, now you get it. They're standing around, they're seeing these men and women worshiping in languages they're not supposed to know. It's miraculous. It's not possible. There was one universal language at the time, and it was Greek, and it was ordered by law. Other than that, they spoke the language of the region. It wasn't possible what was happening. And we get all the way down to verse 36. Peter again preaching with this boldness, this explosive power that's in him, this dunamis power. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus. Now listen to what he says, whom you have crucified, both our Lord and Christ. You crucified the son of the living God. He begins to preach a message to him. Oh Lord, if us pastors got up here and began to preach right at people in groups of the failings and things that they do, we would be crucified. But Peter, in boldness and by the command of God that he gave him, pointed at those Jews and said, you crucified the Son of the living God, the Savior. Imagine the guilt, the prick in their hearts. You know, people don't like to be pricked in their hearts when they're at church. They don't like to be made to feel guilty. Pastor, make me feel good. Make me feel comfortable. Make me feel warm and fuzzy. I don't want the other part. Peter wasn't afraid of that because he knew it was a command of God to preach the word. But here's the amazing thing. They didn't crucify Peter. They stood there and they were pricked in their hearts, it says in verse 37, meaning they became guilty. Their conscience was burned. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, you know the words, men and brethren, what shall we do? I want you to understand that every one of us is guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are guilty of his death. Do you understand that? He died for every living human being that was ever was and ever was going to be since his birth and his message. We are guilty of the blood of Christ. We hold that guilt. And so if we're looking for salvation, if we're looking to be exonerated of that crime, if we're looking for that kingdom of heaven that the the apostles were asking about, if we're looking for salvation, we've got to have that question in our hearts. You've got to have that question all the time. God, what shall we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Pastor, what do I do in this circumstance if I'm truly guilty of the blood of Jesus? And Peter gave the answer, the one we're most famous for, the one everybody knows, that people memorize, people that know in their sleeps. There's probably little children in this room that can lay down on the floor half asleep and repeat this, this great scripture. Then Peter said unto them, repent, die to who you were. That's what that means, that repentance. It, it, it mimics when, the, 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 uh, excuse me, when the, the, the priest would step in with the animal, that, that lamb that was slain for Passover, or that animal at the, at the beginning of the, of, of, the, of the process of salvation in the temple, when they would take that animal and sacrifice it at that altar. It's dying to your former self. And then he says, be baptized. Every one of you, every one of you, everybody, 
Not just the people who want to be a part of the fellowship. Not just the people that want to feel warm and fuzzy and part of God's club. Every single person needs to be baptized, dipped, plunged, submerged, saved, preserved in baptism to wash away those sins that they've repented for. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, the Bible says everything you do, do all in the name of Jesus Christ, not the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's no power in the Trinity titles. There's no power in names. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. He's the one that died. He's the one that bled for you. Why in the world, if I'm going down in the waters of baptism, would I want anybody else named over me when I'm baptized in Jesus' name? Bless you, Lord. This is the best part of all. This is the new way. This is this church. Verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Does that leave out anybody? Does that exit any traditional faith person? Does that deny any human being anywhere of any walk or talk or creed or color or background? No, it does not eliminate anyone. It is for every single human being that was there or were about to be or were afar off from now until the time he returns. End of the story. The matter is closed. It's not up for debate. It's not up for any other argument. It was for every single person. I want to remind you again at the beginning of this, it was a commandment of Jesus. Twice in the passage in Acts 1 and 2, it was a commandment. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Get out from among the generation. Untoward means going in the wrong direction. Save yourself from the group that's going the wrong way. Shake out a tradition. Don't worry about what the old law said. Jesus said it in his message in Matthew 5. I've come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. I've got something new. I'm bringing you grace. Get out of tradition. Don't worry about what grandma did. Don't worry about what mom and dad say about how things ought to go ceremonially. This is the word. This is the commandment of the Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm tired of people. I'm just going to say this. This is not in my notes. But I got to tell you, I'm tired of people that are locked down, shackled and chained by a traditional faith that says you've got to do it this way and no way other. And they're bound and chained up by a tradition that they know doesn't match up with the word of God. I'm tired of coming into that and I'm going to start speaking out to it. I'm going to grab that book of Acts and I'm going to say, this is what Jesus Christ said. Not the Pope, not Martin Luther, not Bubba, not Bob down the street, but the word of God says it. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. I thought I might get fired up today, but I guess I'm just going to stay calm. As Jesus came in with the explosion of the Spirit, he's going to return with a blast of a trumpet. I think Jesus likes pyrotechnics and sound 
and explosions and noise. You know how people are receiving the Holy Ghost? It's not because they suddenly smile real big or they glow real sharp. It's because there's a sound coming out of their mouths that said, I've got the Spirit inside me. There's that special language. The wind blows where it lists. But the sound thereof, it's the sound thereof. He told Nicodemus, except to be born of the water and of the Spirit, you'll not enter into the kingdom of God. Why is that a problem? Why is that challenging? But there's a trumpet blast coming and it's going to be louder and even greater than the explosion that happened on Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me, start at verse 15. This is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. He says in verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Again, the word of the Lord. What do we say at the beginning? God, I submit to your word. I submit to your commands, to your authority, to your blood, to your will and to your way. I say this by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That means we're not going to go first. They're going to go first. Asleep means the dead people, right? We're not going to prevent those that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. A trump blast is going to usher in the march of a king. Every time there was a trumpet blast in old England, when the king was coming, da, 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 and the trumpets would blast, and who would come walking in but the king? And one more time, the blast of a trumpet is going to announce the arrival of a king. It says, for, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be, ever be with the Lord. And then it says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the term that we use, rapture. People say, rapture's not in the Bible. No, it's a Latin word. It's a Latin version of the word hapezo, which means caught up or snatched away, which is derived from these scriptures. Anybody looks at you and says, there's no such thing as a rapture. See ya. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, Paul's writing again. Paul had the understanding. He knew. He had the insight. He he understood the way God was going to come back. He had such a powerful connection with Jesus. He he said the words that I say are commandments from Jesus himself. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 52, he recounts again, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first, incorruptible, and we shall be changed, transformed. Our bodies will literally cease to exist, and become spirit and meet God in the air. There's not going to be a corpse. There's not going to be dust. It's going to be a pile of clothing. But I've got to impress on you, folks. I've got to impress on you this really critically important thing. We're doing church a new way. This is a new way to church, and I'm talking about the church that's filled with the Holy Ghost because it is the spirit within you that will quicken your mortal bodies. You have to understand that word quicken means transform. At some moment in time, it could be five minutes from now, it could be 500 years from now, there is going to be a sound, a blast of a trumpet. The world is going to hear it in a second, in a twinkling of an eye. That's been uh, measured out to be like one one one-hundredth of a second. I don't even remember the calculation. It's going to be so fast, that sound will blast and gone, poof. And the people that remain here are going to know it's going to be Christians 
that no one understand. You can stand with me with this morning, I'm closing. There's gonna be Christians that no one understand. That's it. Folks, just as that explosion that happened on the day of Pentecost ushered in the spirit of God surrounding the world, entering into people and living here on earth. Of course, God's spirit is everywhere, but I'm talking about that living, connective, Holy Ghost spirit that's designed to be within a man. Jesus brought it in in that explosive event on Acts chapter two, but there's an explosive blast of a trumpet that's gonna take that same spirit and suck it right out of the world. It's gonna be gone. And when that happens, all, pardon my turn, but all hell is going to break loose across this world. The only thing holding pure and total, utter evil and destruction back right now is the Holy Ghost that's living inside you and me. Or most of us. Do you see why allowing it to run out, allowing ourselves to go dormant, allowing things to just sort of go routine, is dangerous because we're living in a time when that trumpet could sound at any second. I don't preach scare tactics. I don't like to scare people into the church because it doesn't last. Remember 9-11? This place was packed to the gills on 9-12. On 9-18, all gone. I don't scare people into the church. This is reality. It's the word of God. So how does this, the explosion at Pentecost and the blast of the trumpet and the rapture go together? Let me read you one last scripture. Romans chapter eight, verse 11 says, but if the spirit of him, Jesus, that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, transform, change your mortal bodies by how? By his spirit that dwelleth in you. For if you live, verse 13, if you go down there, if you live after the flesh, you're gonna die. Spiritually, your spirit is gonna die. But if you through the spirit do mortify, subdue, kill the deeds of the body, not live by flesh, you're gonna live. For as many, verse 14 says, are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you're a son of God, he's gonna take care of you. He's going to fulfill his promises. If you allow him to live in you, if you allow Pentecost to be part of every single one of your days, let that spirit flow through you. Let that oil continue to fill up in you. You've got no danger of being left behind when that trumpet sounds, when that blast blasts across this planet and God takes that spirit out of here, transforms all the people filled with the spirit into spirit form and pulls it out of this world. Brother and sister, you do not want to be here when that happens. Put aside the cares of this world and the telephone. Put aside the things that are distracting you in this life. Put aside these cares that you hold so tightly to. Put aside the things, the works of the flesh, and mortify them, beat them down, put them away. Do what you can to continuously subdue them and walk and live and speak an explosive, powerful spirit. And we're going to meet him together someday in the air. Amen? I want 120 people, if they will, to gather together at this altar. Stay standing.
Whosoever will, altar's open. I'd like to have an upper room moment right now. First, the people who are willing to come up and begin to pray in the spirit. We have an amazing event that's happening here tonight. There are people in this room right now that need miraculous healing, that need miraculous refilling of the Holy Ghost, that need the Holy Ghost for the first time. There are people in this room right now that desperately need an explosive move of the Holy Ghost like the day of Pentecost. And I want some people who are willing to put their flesh away, their pride away, put all that mess away and come up and raise your hands and begin to pray in the Spirit. I want to hear some heavenly language this morning. Jesus, right now in the name of Jesus, God, begin to move through this crowd. Let that rushing mighty wind blow in, begin to move on these people. Don't hold it back. Don't walk out. Don't leave it alone. Now's your opportunity. Now's the chance to let that fire light up on you. That's it. That's it. Speak it out. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.